Hey there, and welcome to episode 45 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. This is your host, as usual, Greg Lindbergh. On episode 45 here, we are visiting with the No Excuses Blind Guy, and uh, that's what Drew Hunhausen calls himself. He lives in Southern California, the Orange County area, and Drew is uh, a triathlete and a multi-sport athlete, really, uh, in spite of being uh, deafblind and also having some other physical challenges. So let's jump into episode 45. Alright, so my guest here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Drew Hunthausen. And Drew is a uh, very accomplished, very versatile uh, deafblind athlete and also uh, author and very just uh, all-around great guy. Uh, Drew, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you so much. It's, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Really appreciate you uh, joining me. I know we've been, uh, you know, talking by email for a while and glad we were finally able to connect to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So first off, Drew, just talk to us about your early life, uh, perhaps where you were born and just your early childhood years. Well, as a start out, I'm 35 now. So I born into, you know, I live in Southern California, Orange County, and I have an older brother younger and a younger sister and i was i grew up you know just normal i guess normal family two parents that definitely feel blessed and in terms of sports i grew up in all different kinds of sports uh, soccer i got into baseball and golf and even played oh, some cool. hockey for the last Ooh, last nice. year before I got sick. Right. So that, that was enjoyable. And sports has always been the central part of my life. Growing up, you know, my dad was a coach for many of my our sports teams. And I played with my brother, who's 20 months older than me. So he was on some of my teams growing up as well. And that kind of changed it a little bit when i was 11 and a half i was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis just out of the blue no one knows how i got it but i guess you could say in a blink of an eye i went from that kid playing sports and i was in a coma for three months and woke up totally blind severely hearing impaired and i couldn't even sit up and mm. yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, wow. And that's, you know, such an age where, you know, like you said, kids are just so active and into so many different things. And um, so, how long were you actually in a coma? Three months. And it's. It was three months. Wow. Yeah. And I don't remember any of it. So, it's kind of. That was the going to, going to bed and then waking up three months later. It's pretty, pretty yeah. crazy, you know, with no, with no eyesight and hearing loss, pretty, pretty traumatic. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then just thinking back to, you know, when you did emerge and, and actually awaken from that coma, you know, what was going through your mind? Well, that's, you know, that's kind of the thing I don't, for, for me waking up from the coma, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those things you yeah, I'm sure many people have seen on movies, 
someone week for waking up from a coma, you know, they sit up in bed and say, Oh my gosh, mom, dad, or whatever, what happened? You know, what happened while I was gone? Well, for me, it was coming out of a coma was actually like a very, very slow process. It took weeks for me to actually fully realize what was going on. So I don't actually have like any, any clear, like aha moments when, when I first woke up, but I do, I do know that it was, like I said, coming out of a fog. So I remember getting up and I thought I was, you know, cause I was blind. So I thought I was in my, in my waking up in my bedroom and I was visualizing my bedroom that when I had gone to bed and right. you know, I remember it took, it took a, probably a couple of weeks and finally my, I think my dad took me in my wheelchair and took me around to, you know, different places in my room and in, in my hospital room and let me feel things and like the sink in my room and the elevator and that that's when it finally dawned on me that I wasn't in my room, that something had happened. And that, that was kind of the, as crazy as, as it sounds, you know, my, I guess my brain is trying to protect me and letting me know, you know, finally realize what had happened. And that's, that's when I started to, I guess, progress from there. And I was in, I was in physical therapy for eight years just to, you know, mm -hmm. learning how to walk again, learning how to do all those things again, train my muscles after being, you know, being immobile for, you know, for three and a half months. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. And just what a, a long process, you know, like you said, eight years of physical therapy, it's, you know, it wasn't obviously overnight or, you know, even just a few months. I mean, this was a long, long thing. And did you have, mm -hmm. you know, days, times where you felt frustrated or? Oh yeah, it was, it was frustrating for sure. I mean, there, there were, there were definitely times because it was, I mean, for physical therapy, learning how to be able to crawl on my own, you know, and balance, balance on my knees, just learning so many things over and over again. And that's, you know, one of the, one of the incredible, incredible things of the human body is that you know, as I, as I got stronger and learned these things again, that muscle memory of those, of the, you know, little things came back to me. And, you know, I had to, obviously the muscles weren't there for a while, but when they slowly came back, I, you know, I, I could crawl, I, you know, naturally learned how, you know, like the natural way to, you know, stand up, you know, from, from kneeling. And it was pretty, as I think back about it, pretty back on it, it was pretty incredible just how those things happen.
So I'm, it was definitely a frustrating process, but I am so grateful for definitely all the help, you know, family, physical therapists, friends, because it's, it's not a journey I could ever, ever have done alone. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like you definitely had a support system and, you know, was there supporting you in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And kind of on that note, in terms of the vision loss, um, I understand you did learn Braille at one point. Yeah. I mean, that was, I learned Braille and basically I, I got sick. I was halfway through 11th grade. And as I, as I said, you know, I was in the middle of sports. I was student body president. I had all these things going for me. And then I came home from the hospital I wasn't able to do anything and I couldn't see. And it was kind of getting used to that was to say, to say the least, not something that happens quickly. So for my seventh grade year, the, the next fall, I was homeschooled for the whole, whole year since I was still too weak to get, you know, to get up and sit up for very long. So I had teachers come to my house from the district for my normal, you know, math, science, English. But then I also had a Braille teacher. So I had to start to learn Braille. And that, hmm. that was very frustrating for me. I, I, I can remember that I was so frustrated that you know, because I loved to read before. I was an avid sure. reader. And then to learn that I have to I had to learn how to read all over again was just something that took me a while to come to come to terms with. <laughs> Absolutely. A very different way of, of reading for sure. And then as far as college, I understand you went to Cal State University, correct? Yeah, in Long Beach. And that, that was definitely, uh, that was challenged. I actually, I started actually at a junior college in Huntington Beach, Golden West College. And I transferred and I have to say it was, it was a challenge, but I am again, so grateful for the support I had getting through that for family. And then like the disabled student centers at the colleges really i mean college different from high school it's one one of the things you really have to step up in terms of advocating for yourself because they they were great in terms of they had the support but they're they're not going to tell you know they're not going to assess you and give to you what you need you have to ask for it and that what that was the I guess you could say challenge or also just the transition, learning, learning how to do that. And also with professors being, having a close relationship communication with professors and letting them know that, you know, that this is what, you know, what works best for you and that you need, if at all possible to get, assignments, papers, get stuff early so you can have them have those things translated and put into formats that you can access. 
Sure, I can definitely relate to that. You know, just having to remind professors and and teachers and whatnot throughout school. And, you know, like you said, really having to advocate for yourself, especially at the college level where you don't necessarily have a parent Mm -hmm. or, you know, a vision teacher there, you know, kind of guiding you. So, yeah, (laughs) great point. Um, So then in terms of sports, from what I understand, uh, you know, after your coma, after you endured that, uh, was it swimming that was kind of the first sport that you, yeah. you know, dipped your toes into, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, swimming. Swimming was the first sport that I guess that was kind of the the catalyst that got me back into really getting into sports, being active. And it's it's interesting how it happened. I can remember it vividly because it was definitely a turning point for me. But I had gone... I have a ton of family that live up in my dad's side of the family lives up in Monta- the state of Montana and my grandparents and several of my great uncles and aunts had taken a road trip down during the winter. I think it was in February to Palm Springs to, to get out of the snow in Montana. So we hmm. went to visit them and I remember I was in the pool swimming pool with my brother and sister and my sister who's she's three years younger than me but she encouraged me you know she said hey drew so i was just sitting down i was sitting on the step hey drew why don't you i'm right here scott's right there why don't you see if you can remember how to swim so i started swimming and started freestyle the rest of that day with my brother and sister kind of as, as bumpers, I guess you could say, to keep me going straight, <laughs> I swam back and forth across that pool. And it was, it, it was something I can't even explain how happy I was, you know, figuring something out that, oh my gosh, there's something I can still do. There's something normal that... <laughs> I can still do. And that's, that's what got me into it. And then uh, from then on in, I kept swimming whenever I could, you know, had access to a pool. Uh, And and I did a little, some of my physical therapy, actually, I started being in water as well. And then my biggest thing in terms of actual swimming and swim team was when I got into high school, my, sophomore year i this 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 spring semester the adapt pe program they had they had it was uh, swimming was at least once or twice a week and that's where i that's where i figured out when i could swim in actually you know like a normal lane line a lane that i could use the plastic lane lines to float on top of the pool as a guide to actually swim myself. So that, you know, that was huge because I no longer needed someone else to swim with me. I could just, you know, if I had a pool like that, I could just get in and swim. So my adaptive BE teacher kind of initiated it, but helped me talk to the swim coach. And I actually, you know, I, I kept swimming with the, in PE, and they got me into 
the very last uh, swim meet of the season, I swam the 50 freestyle with with the in the oh, meet wow. with the rest of, with the rest of the swim team, and you know the the my city or my county newspaper was there, and I got a you know I got my name in the newspaper and my picture and that you know that was very very exciting kind of my my claim to fame and you know I, I swam the rest of the the rest of my high school the last you know a couple of years of high school I swam on the swim team in the spring which which was awesome wow that's very cool and like you said just you know learning that kind of that new strategy of swimming you know how freeing how independent you must have felt i mean it's it must have been quite a moment mm-hmm. very interesting so yeah it was, it was great and then and then in terms of swimming my my older brother where he's a he's a great swimmer he actually he played water polo in high school and then i think it was his senior year he started he became um in the summers he tried out tried out he was a lifeguard at the beach in in uh huntington beach on the coast so one of the things that because he was lifeguarding on the beach that he encouraged me and some of his friends that were lifeguards, they got me out into the ocean. And hmm. I think my G- after my junior year of high school, that was the first year I swam the pier with some lifeguard friends, which meaning I, I started at the shore and I swam out around the end of the pier and back in on the other side. And that oh, wow. was a lot of fun. And that was kind of my first, I guess, venture out into, you know, swimming in the open water. Sure. A whole different uh, vibe, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so I know you have uh, gotten into triathlons and, you know, the, the endurance, kind of the extreme, let's say, endurance uh, sports. And um, so I would imagine swimming kind of led you into to some of those others. Yeah, swimming got me into it. And then... I think it was 2000, 2010, I had a tandem bike that my uncle had found, bought, got used and gave me for Christmas a couple years before. And so I had been out a few times on the tandem bike with my dad and it was something I loved. And there's an organization that's based in San Diego. It's called the Blind Stokers Club. And the stoker is the person who rides on the back of a tandem bike. So I, I'm called the Blind Stoker because you know I'm in the back of the tandem bike and I'm blind. And they have a, every summer, the Blind Stokers Club has a big fundraiser called called cycle for sight so i found i found out about it and i started you know training a little bit more i mean i i I guess you really couldn't call it training but i was riding and i got into i did this event it was a a two-day event where we rode from it was supposed it was from san diego to orange county and I didn't 
it was it was two different days and i didn't do i didn't do the full distance every day because i had just started but being part of that group and being part of that event i guess you could say launched my cycling career and i started doing more more and more of that um afterwards i guess you can say i did a lot of it until it was the summer of 2016 when i found out about the challenge athletes foundation uh, organization in san diego as well and they have a triathlon swim, uh, swim bike and run every october so i started that's when I actually started training for all three of them and found out what a triathlon actually was. Cause I didn't really know before that. So hmm. yeah, it was, it, it, you know, it's kind of surprised me, you know, the whole transition. And I, I even went to a triathlon camp down in San Diego and learned from some of the experts and, uh, and then the, the first triathlon I ever did was I had met a guy when I was in San Diego for the camp and he was a triathlon guide because that's how I do each leg of the triathlon. I have to have someone who swims next to me and, and rides next to me and runs because, you know, I can't see. So, sure. so I met, I met this guy and it was a, I think, he said he would do the triathlon with me in San Diego. I get a call a week and a half before this triathlon. And he asked me, he says, Oh, you know, I know it's short notice, but there's a triathlon up in LA. It's just a short one. Do you want to do that? So I said, yes. And so my first triathlon was actually the Hermosa beach triathlon up in LA and it was a sprint triathlon meaning it was a lot shorter but the thing was mm. that the swim was very challenging because it wasn't in a pool or even in a bay but in the open ocean and that day there happened to be a pretty big surf a pretty big swell came in so I think there were we're between five and six foot of waves and oh, wow. the lifeguards were, were announcing to everybody. If you're not an expert swimmer, you know, if you're not a competent swimmer, you know, just skip the swim and swim and go straight to the bike. Well, you know, I was, I was, this is my first triathlon and I was very nervous, but I didn't want to skip any of it. So long story short, <laughs> we did it, but we didn't have any communication, like, you know, to dive under waves. So I ended up swim, you know, swallowing about half the Pacific Ocean, but we we made it out. <laughs> and that was oh, wow. that was my first experience. So I guess I guess you could say I had a hard first experience, but I guess it made the the rest of it easy so yeah talk about an introduction to that type of event exactly <laughs> so. yep 
Um, I know I've, I have interviewed several other triathletes, and I'm curious about, you know, the relationship with your guides and just kind of how the, the communication works, and also the fact that you are also hearing impaired. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use any maybe different adaptations that just someone who's you yeah. know, visually impaired may not use as well? Yeah, it's it's definitely the hearing impairment definitely adds adds a uh, additional element because like for the for the swim, as I just mentioned, we didn't have any communication things lined up for that first race. And so one of the things that I've done since then, because of my hearing impairments, when when I come out of the water, you know, and it's not even people without hearing impairments, but especially for me, until my ears clear, I can't hear anything. And even when they clear, you know, it's, you know, who knows how much I can hear because I don't, you know, I, I don't wear my hearing aids in the water. So we, we established right. hand signals. So I walk in with my guide, they're on my right side and I am holding their arm or no, actually I'm, I'm holding their hand as we walk in. And these, the hand signals that we have is they'll squeeze my hand twice when we're, you know, when we're ready to duck under a wave and once if we're just going to walk through it, see if it's a short, you know, it's a small one. So hmm. that way we don't have to, we don't have to talk, talk to each other. And it, it works really, really well. And in terms of the, the cycling, because my, my captain or my guide sits in front of me and, you know, his voice is projected away from me and my, and my hearing loss, obviously, but we both wear, we have these headsets by uh, cycling headsets that just go on and they fit under the helmet that work really, really mm-hmm. well. And we, we were able to communicate easily and have conversations. So it's, it works really well. Very cool. So, yeah. yeah. Once again, it yeah. just demonstrates, yeah, just some, some simple adaptations and how far they can really mm-hmm. take you. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. And it definitely makes it now that I've been doing some, especially the longer triathlons and I've been to some longer cycling events as well. It makes it a lot more enjoyable when you can have a, have a conversation, you know, when, when you're riding for four five, six hours. Absolutely. That's a long time on that bike. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Conversation definitely makes it go faster. For sure. sure. Yeah. Makes it uh, yeah. bearable. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And just more enjoyable overall. As far as uh, other sports, I know you have uh, had the chance to to participate in other sports as well. Any others that really stand out to you or that you want to mention? Yeah, well, you know, I've done some other sports. I mean, those uh, swimming and biking are my main ones. I don't do as much running just because I some of the the bacterial meningitis, I have some nerve damage in my legs except especially my right ankle so the pounding is not the you know the best for my legs i don't want to you know further impact impact that so i don't do most of the runs i do are shorter 
you know, I don't, I usually don't do more than, you know, four miles or so, but in terms of other sports, I did get into one of the sports I got into even before triathlon, actually before cycling at a camp was, um, rock climbing and it's it's just i remember being at a a blind camp and i had gone with it was a family camp so i'd gone with my parents my brother and sister and they had a one of those you know like 30 foot rock climbing walls and i remember climbing up but i just had so much fun uh you know the challenge of finding the rocks where they are where they were. And then, you know, it was fun and challenged my, the rest of my family. We got them, we got them to put blindfolds on and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, see how, see what they did with that. And it, it was, it was a lot of fun, but that, that's something that I got into and I didn't do it a ton, but I found, you know, some of the rock climbing gyms around my area and I would go, periodically and you know there's something i haven't been for a couple years probably now but it's something i want to get back into sure that's awesome i know that uh i know that you uh like the tagline or slogan whatever you want to call it no excuses and i was curious if you could just talk about the meaning behind those words well i'm that's kind of for my and uh, I'm known as the, the no excuses blind guy and how that, how that came about was, you know, through the sports I just talked about, but also uh, many years ago, I got, I got into I had a passion for doing speaking, motivational, inspirational speaking. And hmm. I did, you know, I did it for quite a while and I, I was had some different coaches and went to some, you know, some different conferences, seminars. And I remember one of the seminars that I was at, they had, there's probably a couple hundred people there. And I remember, and it was a, it was a business seminar. And one of the things that they were, they were helping speakers out with was, you know, the branding and, and finding that, you know, that name or title that, that resonates with you, but also, you know, with, with others, with, you know, with your audience. And I, I, I remember, sure. you know, coming up with, with different things. And I had, I think my dad was there and a couple other people, you know, talking to and we had different names, and this is one of them was uh, the no no excuses the no excuses blind guy. And I I remember because they, they had everybody go around, and you, you would say the title that you thought of, and then everybody else would they either hold up uh, I think there were, I don't remember the colors now exactly, but like a red card for they didn't like it or a yellow card or, or a green card, maybe if they, they just loved it and, and it really resonated <laughs> with them. And hmm. that, that was kind of the, the affirmation. I, I got uh, 
pretty much all green cards that were held up. So that, that was kind of something the no excuses blind guy. And that's something that resonated with me. And then my, my message as a speaker in terms of overcoming obstacles and challenges, no matter who you are, you know, whether you're disabled or not in, in your business, in your life. And that, you know, that's kind of where it came from and who I've been since. Right. Very cool. And that's very powerful. I mean, like you said, everyone deals with adversity, you know, throughout their lives at some point. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a lot more extreme or less extreme, you know, for certain individuals based on their circumstances. But I think you're, you're definitely an example of someone who, you know, had a lot thrown at you at a very young age and, you know, look, look where you are now and, and what you've done. No, thanks. For sure. And then just to wrap up here, um, if people want to contact you, I know you do have a website. I think you're on social media. How can they get in touch with you? Well, my well, social media, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and I'm just just my name, Drew Huntausen. That's D-R-E-W. And then the last names, H-U-N-T-H-A-U-S-E-N. And then I do have a, a website that I'm updating, and that's well, my name, DrewHunthausen.com or NoExcusesBlindGuy.com. They both go to the same place. And then I also wanted to say, can uh, I'm going to post these on my social media so you can find it there too, but I'm actually have a cycling event, a fundraiser that I'm doing for the Challenge Athletes Foundation. It's called the Million Dollar Challenge. And it's a three-day event that I'm doing in October. And I would I would love financially or just you know encouragement support from, from anyone. And I'll be posting uh, more information about that for whoever's interested. Awesome. That's, yeah, I have heard of that event and I can certainly include a link to that information as well as your website, social media, and the show notes uh, for this episode. So everyone can have that as yeah. well. All right. And again, we've been visiting with Drew Hunhausen and uh, Drew, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to following uh, your, you know, your athletic uh, goals. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.